Who's this? Oh. What's up, Jay? Hey, man. Thanks for picking up. I know you've been busy, man. Minnesota <laughs> this time of year. So I, I know that keeps you busy with work, but bro, I got something. I got a, I need a dream worker, man. Uh, I've been having these dreams and they are really working me hard. Morning after morning, I wake up with just, you know, pages to write in my journal. I've been stirring the muck, bro. And, you know, I'm a dream worker, but who do I turn to when I need a dream worker? I turn to you. Yeah, baby. So, hey, yeah, man, I was wondering if maybe you had some time to talk about this. I've got some fascinating dreams. There's a theme running through this, and I'm having difficulty seeing what do I need to do to advance this along to get to the place that my dreams are pointing me towards. Bro, man, it's saying I got a wedding I got to get to. Give me your hands. Let me look in your eyes. <laughs> you have come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't know I ended up at uh, Rasputin's um, domicile, but yeah, man. That's all right, we're here. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm in the right place. I know I am, man. That's why I called you. So we've got a uh, season four. Yeah. We're starting here. Here we are. And it's crazy. We four we want to focus man. four seasons. I know, oh. and you know. We had a theme for season three, which was kind of the psychic ESP extraordinary dreams. And for season four, we've decided that we really want to take our listeners into the nitty gritty of dream work. And what I figure is what better way of starting off than by showing them how we do it with each other. We'll take our dreams for this first episode and I'll lay it out to you and we'll show them this is how you do it. This is how you work through dreams for healing and growth. Hell yeah. So Let's do it. season four, here we go. Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These, 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 these are, are the dreams, dreams that shape us. Dreams that shape us. One of the questions that is so central to my why for what dream work holds for me and what I believe it holds for all of us is where am I? Where am I in the mythic sense offers us such needed context into where we exist within the cycles of not only our psychic development, but within the greater context of our healing of our unfolding dharma and or the mythic storyline of our overall lives. Dreams offer us so readily great vision for the mythic landscape in which we currently find ourselves in and the challenges we are currently being tasked with facing and overcoming. And as we walk and step with our dreaming lives, 
they continue to reveal deeper and deeper the great vision for what our lives, purpose, and development is seeking to express and realize within us. And this is meaning making. The way dreams offer us a mythic context to understand the passages in our lives gives our struggles and triumphs deep meaning. And I truly believe that we in the Western world ache and crave meaning so fully because so many of us have lost touch with our relationship to our dreams and probably more importantly, the meaningful contextual grace that a symbolic mythic lens can offer us. And this is so much of the beauty of this podcast of ours. We are offering you story after story of just how meaningful dreams are in shaping our lives. And this is why. Because they afford us meaning by offering us a symbolic context for what we are going through and truly what it means to be a human. Life is still hard, even with this context. But at least you know where you stand in your current struggle, in your current cycle, and then even more so how that relates to the greater cycle of your becoming. My co-host Jason bravely offers us a look at how dreams offer us vision for where we are and where they are trying to take us. What are the challenges we are deep in at this moment? And what is the promise of what awaits us? Or in his case, what is halting his departure towards a new chapter in his professional and creative life? And what is the vision for where his soul is aching for him to arrive? So join us as you get to hear Jason and I do dream work in real time and bear witness to how his dreams are offering him such a gorgeous context for the crossroads he currently stands at and offer up the great vision for where he is heading. It's a beautiful and convoluted ride that is so true to doing this work and we hope you truly enjoy where we arrive. Bienvenue à Paris. Je t'aime. <laughs> Merci. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. My name is Steve Erninwine, and I am here joined by my brother in the dream, Mr. James DeBoard. Say hello to everybody, Jake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for season four. We are so glad that you're with us. Yes, indeed. Uh, for those of you who are new to this podcast, uh, the Dreams That Shape Us uh, is looking to obliterate the Western myth that dreams mean nothing by offering you story after human story that shows just how deeply meaningful dreams can be in shaping our lives. So thank you for being here. And uh, to everybody who's been along with us for the whole ride, man, thank you so much. I can't believe that we actually made it to four seasons. Oh man, this is, uh, this is wild. I'm so excited. And uh, yeah, the best is yet to come everybody. So stick around. 
And tonight, uh, we got Jason in the hot seat. He's uh, coming in to share a little, uh, a really beautiful story he just shared with me. And uh, we're going to get a little bit of backstory, and then we're going to see where he's at currently with it. And I'm going to hopefully help him uh, see maybe what he's not seeing right now. So you'll get a little sneak peek into the actual workings of how dreams can shape our lives by seeing Jason in real time working through this uh, slew of recurrent dreams that he's having right now. And yeah, man, I'm super excited to jump in this with you. So I guess to begin, yeah, let's, uh, if you can kind of take us back, I know this theme has uh, cropped up in your dreams in the past in a really impressive way. Sounds like we're we're going to Paris, baby. Uh, yeah. Set us up, man. How did that all start out for you? And these dreams started more than a decade ago. It's had the same theme or variations of the theme. Now, I've been dreaming lately about trying to get to a wedding, and the wedding is in Paris. Well, the Paris dreams started more than 10 years ago, and I'm trying to just get there. It wasn't a wedding yet. It was just Jason is trying to get on a plane to get to Paris. Of course, I think other people have had this kind of dream about trying to get to the airport and something happens where you can't get on the plane. Um, I've had dreams where back then I had dreams where I didn't have my passport, where I didn't have a ticket, where I didn't have the money to pay for a ticket. I even had one dream that I'll never forget where the taxi driver was my father and he got me to the airport late. <laughs> this continued over years uh, through 2013 or so when I published my first book on dream work, Dreams 123. And then I arrived in Paris, like my dream shifted. Now it wasn't right away. Like the day that my book came out, you know, I am now in Paris, but it was within a close enough amount of time. I realize now what Paris means to me. See, for years I had worked on breaking into the publishing industry as an author. And when I got that first contract and I wrote the book and now it's out and I got my first like within five days of the book coming out, I'm on Coast to Coast AM, one of the biggest overnight radio shows and one of the biggest media interviews I've ever done. So there was almost like that instant feeling of I have arrived. Wow. So in the dreams, I've arrived in Paris. And at first I'm just sort of, I've never been there by the way. So my mind is just pulling in what my impressions of what Paris must be like. And it's, you know, it's sort of just big city, lots of people on the streets. I realized that my dreams chose Paris in particular because it used to be a publishing mecca. There were a lot of early authors um, who, you know, like, like Hemingway, he hung out in Paris with other authors. They had their little group there and there were these very influential authors and intellectuals who called Paris home, or at least this is where their little group used to hang out. And so Paris was this publishing mecca of the whole world. 
it used to be, at least. And I remember running across this information many a year ago. So I think this is the association that my mind pulled in to say, you're trying to get to Paris, and what you're really trying to get to is this place in your life that you've always wanted to be as an author. So once I'm in that place, I've at least established myself. I've got the beachhead. Jason has a publishing contract. He writes the book. The book comes out, and there's some initial success. So now I've arrived in Paris in my dreams. And I was running around the city, and then they, the theme changed to like trying to find an apartment. And it, it kind of disappeared into the background for a while. But the, recently, that's changed where, once again, I'm trying to get to Paris. During the dreams, there's it's almost like a clean slate. There's really no references to the fact that I've already been there in my dreams. I even have an apartment somewhere in Paris, and it looks according into the to the dream world. Um, so once again, I'm back to the beginning with the initial sets of dreams where I was missing a passport, missing a ticket, uh, trying to get through security. So I'll take you back almost a month ago and we'll take this first dream in the series where it's specifically Paris. So in the dream, I'm, I'm on the last leg of a vacation. And I know that in the evening that I'm supposed to go to Paris. This is like the last flight. I'm somewhere else. I'm not in Tucson where I live. And in the dream, it could be anywhere, but I just know that I'm on a vacation and I've been going from place to place. And the town that I'm in or city that I'm in, I'm supposed to leave from there to get an international flight to Paris. Well, I don't have my passport. And you can get on a domestic flight without a passport, but you can't get on an international flight. And I'm going, how in the world did I forget my passport? Like I left my passport at home and I'm in some other place. I realize I can't get back home to get the passport, get back to this place and catch the flight. So I start trying to figure out if there's a workaround. I'm like, well, can I maybe bring my birth certificate and with a credit card, I can prove who I am. I'm like, well, no, I'm my birth certificate is at home and I'm not at home. And I realize I spent a lot of money on this ticket and I'm going to lose it. And in the dream, I think a thousand dollars. And I'm like, man, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose a thousand bucks. There was that dream about trying to get to Paris. And then it got more specific. Later that same night, I had a dream that I'm trying to get to Paris for a wedding and I'm actually at the airport and I come out of a public restroom and right next to it is the security desk and I'm already standing at the security desk and I realize I left my blue blazer in the restroom. This is the same one that we were joking about when I do these public appearances, there's this particular blue sports jacket that I like to wear. And um, I, I'm like, well, if the jacket is in the restroom, I need to go back in the restroom and get it. And right when the thought crosses my mind, 
there was this male and female security guard. The female is at the desk where I'm at trying to kind of pass by to get into the, you know, the concourse area of the airport. And the male security guard, right then I look over and he's just locked that bathroom with a key and he kind of holds up the key and he looks at me and dude, he gives me the Nelson look from the Simpsons. Ha <laughs> ha. Like <laughs> I just locked the bathroom where your blazer is, you know, the outfit that you're supposed to wear to this wedding in Paris and this, I've just locked the door. So you're not getting in there and I have the key. What are you going to do about it? And he just, you know, he gives me that smug look. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And, you know, oftentimes when you're in a dream and you come to this place where you're at an impasse, then it just sort of shifts scenes. And the this one, the, the scene shifted and I, I don't remember what happened mm. after that. I then have another dream where, and this is on New Year's Eve. Uh, of 2023 going into 24, so not that long ago. I have a dream where I'm trying to catch a flight to a wedding. It's not saying specifically Paris this time. I'm just trying to catch a flight. I'm following this man around the airport grounds that are not on the concourse, like around the airport. There's often like offices and uh, storage areas Things were spread out. It was nighttime. And I'm following this guy and I'm thinking, well, he knows how to get to the airport. So I'll just keep following him. And he's just kind of trudging along. And he, all of a sudden, I kind of realize he's not leading me to where I need to be. This guy just just sort of walking around out here, not you know, like, why am I following this guy? And as soon as I do that, like the terrain goes from being flat to being almost 90 degrees and I'm walking on it. And I start kind of reaching down to put my hands into the ground, but the ground is this like tan rubbery material, kind of like what you would see at a playground, the the more kind of rubbery, cushiony. I'm trying to kind of climb it and I'm sticking my hands down in it, kind of clawing at it, trying to, you know, follow this guy still. Cause I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I, I don't know exactly. I know the airport's in the area somewhere, but I, I, I don't know exactly where it is. It's nighttime. There's no one else around. I'm like, I've been following this guy around. I can't lose track of him. But he's, again, not even paying any attention to me. And this is what, man, I'll never forget when I kind of looked directly at him. And he's looking off into the distance. And all of a sudden, his hair, like there's a breeze blowing through his hair. And he has this sort of wistful look to him. He's, you know, the chin is kind of up in the air a little bit and he's, you know, looking way off at something and his hair is kind of blowing back and I see his jacket kind of blow open. And dude, this is right out of a Memorex commercial, (laughs) you know, like he's got that, you know, that look to him. 
And I realize he is not paying any attention to me. This guy is in his own world. And I, I'm just, I'm nothing in this, <laughs> in this picture for him. He may not even see me. I mean, and he's looking off. He's not looking at me. He's looking off into the distance. And throughout that dream, he wasn't paying any attention to me. I mean, this, this keeps happening. And I'm really feeling like there's something about getting to the airport and getting to where I need to be, where I want to be. I know that the air, the plane, the flight is going to take me to something that's important. Usually it's presented to me as a wedding, which has really been working me. I'm like, well, if it's a wedding, then this is an important date. You know, like this is something I need to be there. Doesn't tell me whose wedding it is, but I have a feeling it's mine. Mm. You know, like this is my wedding and I, I need to show up for this. There is one other dream that happened almost a year ago that I think is important for background for this. It's not about a wedding. It's about meeting at a place called the Union. This was before my father landed in my town in Tucson last March. And I've probably mentioned this on an episode or two because of all the craziness that came into my life. My father landed in Tucson in a crisis, an absolute crisis, the worst I've ever been through with him. And from the moment that he showed up at my door, it completely consumed my life. And yeah, if you guys noticed that, that I, I did a bunch of interviews in a row last season, that was during that time where Jay had to kind of step away a little bit. Yeah, man, everything got put on hold um, because it was 24 hours. He, he ended up in the hospital four or five times in four in three or four months. In he was in the ICU within a week of getting here. I mean, it was just a it was a horrible crisis, and. You know, he was supposed to move to Tucson and we were going to get him a condo and he was, my dad's in his seventies. He was going to live his final years here with us, but the stress of the move freaked him out and he went back to his old standby, which was drinking. He'd been sober for eight years at that point. And the moment that alcohol touched his lips, he was in a full blown. He went from zero to a thousand miles an hour. And if anybody out there has dealt with an alcoholic parent, one thing it does is it makes them unmanageable. And two, as an adult, I'm a 53 year old man. It took me back into places where I had left behind mm -hmm. decades ago with him. Yeah. So I'm now back in crisis with him because of the alcoholism and it was, you know, and he started having a health crisis and all that. So it was just horrible. Leading up to that, I had this dream that I was, I was driving a car and my dad and my wife were in the car with me. My dad was in the passenger seat. My wife was in the back. It was this like red convertible sports car. So really cool car to be driving around in, which by the way, I, I do not have a red convertible sports car <laughs> for anybody who wants to know out there. I, 
I know that I need to go to this place that's like in the middle of a town, city, and it's like a seminary. It's a, it's a, a holy, a religious place, a place for religious training, spiritual training. And I go into the middle of the building. There's a big room, and I'm, I know exactly where I need to go. I go right into the heart of this, this middle of this room and the middle of this building. And there's this minister type guy, friar. He he's kind of professorly, grandfatherly, you know, um, obviously a man who's done a lot of spiritual practice because he gives off that really good vibe. And I tell him that what I need is the the wax is accumulated from the candles that they burn during their holy rituals. I remember using that term specifically, your holy rituals. And I'm like, can I go ahead and take some of the wax? And he's he kind of nods affirmative. He's got this like light smile on his face, like he he knows something. Yeah, I know. And he's kind of waiting. Yeah, he's waiting for me to figure it out, you know, but he's he's not going to just blurt out whatever it is, but he's he's kind of good with it. And I remember as I looked at him that I could feel my presence coming into my face. Now, if you have if people who've meditated, I've experienced this when I I can come from a place where I've been running around and doing things and I'm in my head somewhere. I'm not embodied at that moment. And then I sit down and I go, okay, take a deep breath. You know, let's get into the feel here. And it draws my attention where I can feel myself like right behind, like my consciousness comes up into my face. And I've noticed that guys like... um, certain spiritual types, especially monks, like Buddhist monks who do a lot of meditation, they can sit there for endless amounts of time with their attention fully on one thing as if there is nothing else in the world that matters. They can give their full attention to whatever is right there in front of them. It's a very easy sort of attention. There's no pressure behind it. They give off a very peaceful vibe. Well, that's what I was getting from this guy. And it started bringing it out of me because I come in like I'm in all in a big hurry, you know, like, okay, I'm, I've just parked my car. I'll be right back. I say to my wife and my father and I go running inside and I'm like, make a beeline for the room. And then I'm just running up to the guy and I'm like, yeah, man, I need the, the wax from the candles that you burn for your <laughs> holy rituals right? And I'm, he's like, okay, sure. And I look over and they're on these white paper plates. And I'm like, great. I, I can take it with me. It's like to go, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's already on a to-go plate. So I pick it up and I'm trying to find my way out of the building. And I know that I'm on the second floor and this seminary student comes up to me and she's, you know, she's like a grad student. I, I just know this in the dream. She's a graduate student and she's, she's attractive. She gives off a really good vibe. 
And she comes up to me and she says, hey, um, you know, I'm getting together later with some of the other students, some of the other seminary students. I think she said grad students, and I just assumed that they're seminary students. And she says, we're meeting at the union. Would you like to join us? And in my mind, I'm picturing like this is a college gathering place, pub, bar, you know, it's the union. In um, At the college, the university that I went to, we, we had a student union meeting place for us, and we used to call it the union. Hey, do you want to meet later at the union? Okay, you know, well, where at? Well, we'll be at the, you know, the McDonald's, or we'll be at the, you know, the place was full of restaurants and all that. So, yeah. But my in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is like uh, the union is a place like a like a pub maybe type of environment. And dude, I have this like I'm just really thrilled that she's made this point of tracking me down before I leave to invite me. And I'm like, well, I got a lot of things to do, but I would really like to join you all there. So then in the next scene, <laughs> I'm looking out. Like I find, I find my way out of the building and I look down and I see my car. I see my wife in the back and my father is now as big as a sea lion and he is sprawled across the driver and passenger seats. So he's got one end of him is sticking over the door leaning out one side and the other end of him, he's sprawled across is over the other door. So he's completely taking up the entire seat, wow. like both seats. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I ever going to get into the car with him just like that? And if you've ever seen like Jabba. sea lions, you know, like Jabba the Hutt, he's not going anywhere. And he's got this, you know, please Ooh, just punch. He's got this look on his face. Like I'm happy where I'm at. And if I'm happy where I'm at, then there ain't no moving me, which is come to find out that, I mean, this is what I dealt with when my dad got into town. This is what I dealt with for the next six months until we got him back to Ohio for the next six months with him in my town, it was, unless he was made uncomfortable, then there was no moving him from where he was at. There is no other agenda. He's happy where he's at. And that dream kept coming back to me as I was going through this, you know, crisis with him. That dream kept coming back to me. And I realized that my life isn't going anywhere as long as he is is sprawled across the driver's seat. I'm and you you know what happened yeah. for the next six months. I had I could do nothing else um except for damage deal control. with that. Yeah. Damage control and get him help. Yeah, I realized as I came out of that dream that there was something I didn't know it until time played out. That dream was a harbinger of what was to come. At least it feels that way now Yeah, definitely. that I wasn't going anywhere. So fast forward to the fall and I get my dad back to Ohio. We get him moved back into the home that he was in, that he left to come to Arizona. I come back and I start picking up with my life again. 
And within a probably a fairly short amount of time, that's when the dreams came back of like, well, I got to get to Paris. I'm going to be in a wedding. I've got to get my jacket. The, the same jacket I've worn in all those videos, which at dreamschool.net, um, there are all these classes that I have up there. This was Jason taking PowerPoints, sitting in front of a camera, putting on his blue sports jacket and talking to the camera. And all those videos, I'm wearing that jacket. So that is over and over again. That's been what's, you know, that we're back into that theme of me trying to figure out how to get to this next place in my life. I mean, in the dream, it's going to a wedding. Paris is the place, but the wedding seems to imply something else. And it feels like it has something to do with the union dream. And that's why I went into such detail on that because, you know, that was a year ago when I had that dream. And now it feels like it's coming full circle. And I can't figure it out. It's like it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm right there. And the whatever it is, that word that you can't quite think of, and you're like, if I just sit here long enough and focus, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. It's not coming to me. (laughs) It keeps disappearing down into me. And people who work with dreams, you know what you're trying to do is make what is unconscious, conscious. And you know how frustrating that can be at times. Yeah. Because by nature, you're trying to pull this stuff up out of you. And you can get a little glimpse of it for a second. And then it's gone again. You know, if you've ever been fishing and you know that the, you see the bobber in the water and something's nibbling at it, and you know that if you yank on the line, the, the fish isn't going to bite. And you can see that bobber going under the water and coming up and under the water and coming up. And you got to like entice it out of the water. Like almost, it's almost like making that fish want, like, okay, you see the worm on that hook. You don't see the hook, but you see the worm. And you know, you know there's something good for you here. But I just need you to take a big bite of that worm so that we can get you to the surface. Well, even so, I think uh, some of these dreams, these repetitive dreams for you that are frustrating, like not having the passport or not being locked out of the bathroom or your dad not getting you to the airport on time. Like, I feel like those dreams are also like, the unconscious's way of pulling that out of you as well. Like on the other end, like, it's like, it's like there's something here, Jay, that you can't seem to get around. I don't even know if you realize it yet, but if I frustrate you enough, maybe it'll stir up some curiosity or like, <laughs> maybe it'll get you a fucking itchy to, to like explore this deeper. Uh. So you might be the fish also. (laughs) Yeah, here I am thinking I'm the fisherman, (laughs) but oh my God, I'm the fish. Wow. Yeah. It is. How does that that feel? I mean, I'm sure so many people have had dreams like that because dreams like to do that shit all the time where they're just like, they mess with you a little bit because it's trying to like pull an experience out of you. It's trying to, like I just said, like it's trying to awaken something in you that maybe you're not even privy to yet. 
I feel like that little scratch, that little bit of an itch that it ignites in you, like makes you curious or it, it opens longing. Sometimes like longing is like a big thing that I feel like dreams like really try to pull out of you sometimes to, because longing like makes you want to reconnect with a feeling that you have all of a sudden, like if it erupts something deeply within you, then you can start scrambling and you're like, Oh fuck. Like I need, I need to figure this out. Like, where am I going? Like, how, how do I get there? Like, it seems like this is what it's doing to you also. Before we dive too much into anything, I'm, I'm just curious if you could speak to like how, how just that element of it is working you like waking up constantly to these dreams where there's a bit of a, a frustration or I don't know why. I, I wake up and I, I journal these dreams and then I look back at them and I kind of use it as a diary to start. Even if I don't have much insight into the dream yet, I can write about my feelings, frustration, annoyance, shame. Mm -hmm. What is it that I'm missing that I can't get to this place that's a place that I want to be and I can't seem to get there. What is it? What is wrong? You know, what is missing from me? And that's a feeling that started a long, long time ago that, but there was something about me that was incomplete in the sense that I didn't have everything that I needed to create the life for myself that I saw that I wanted starting from an, you know, when you first start forming ideas about, well, what do you want to do with your life? Well, here I was and I'm 16 years old and I was in a youth reformatory my entire 16th year. First, I started off in a treatment center um, and then I didn't make it through that. Yeah, and, Jay seems uh, real buttoned up now, but... He's told me some stories. <laughs> yeah. I really wondered coming into this episode, how much of this that I would reveal, because there are people who know me now as this, you know, I'm, I'm an author and I, you know, we, we do this podcast together and I work with dreams and I guess I'm kind of a known person, you know, jmdeboard.com. Hey, you know, I mean, everybody has a .com now, but you know, <laughs> like, you know, I'm up, I'm, I am known publicly mm -hmm. and what no one really knows is, is that the path to getting here was littered with things that happened that were just, I can't even, it would, we would have to go on for hours just to give you the background, but this is relevant to what we're talking about here because I was in this place where I thought maybe this could be the end of me or this could be the beginning of me. Mm. And I, um, I remember I, I was, it was a big open dorm room. Um, and there's about 60 guys who are all, you know, we're all convicts. And I'm looking down the row and it's at night and I was on the very end and I knew at that point what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an author. And so I got down on my knees and I said the most, the most sincere prayer I'd ever said. 
And it was, God, I want to be an author. This is the life that I want. And so that's what I started working towards at that age. I started writing short stories. I was a terrible writer, but, you know, I, I, I was like, well, this is what I want to do. I loved reading. You know, I'd always been a big reader. Um, thank you, Mom, for those early childhood experiences of, you know, reading stories to me, going to bed because it planted a seed. And, um, yeah, so I, I said that prayer that I wanted to be an author. And I was 16 years old. And the... 2012, when the book finally published, the first book that I was, you know, I was officially an author. I'm a published author. I was 42 years old. Wow. And I can't say that I worked every day of my life between 16 and 42 to make that happen, but it was in the background of my life that whole time. I want to be an author. This is what I'm going to do. And I worked and, and, and eventually it happened. Um, so arriving in Paris, yeah. You know, I had arrived in a place in my life where I wanted to be. Yeah. But Steve, you know, like I, I said something earlier about how Paris was my association with authors because, you know, people like Hemingway hung out there back in the day. You know, having these conversations that are earth moving these guys are talking about things that they're going to then work into their books and these books are going to move you know entire societies the the very influential writers and even though i made it to paris i can't say that if i ever sat down at a table with them that i would feel like i belonged there mm -hmm. there's something in me that feels like a fraud it feels inadequate in comparison to those people. And I am now realizing that maybe there's something about the wedding is reuniting with something about myself that was lost that would make me feel like I am I belong there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah dude. The thing about myself that I lost long ago because of those experiences that I had with, you know... Well, some, acting unconsciously. Yeah. Well, something. Yeah, that man, I, I want to hear you now. Yeah, it, there was something about your union dream that I was just hearing you talk about shame and some of those other things. That knowing what I know about you outside of what you've relayed here, that I only possess in this conversation, that the listeners wouldn't know. But just knowing the struggle that you've had with your father, um. And knowing that you carry your own father wound, just like I did. Uh, I'm curious, like, the imagery of him taking up so much room in the front seat of your car. Like, I'm really wondering if, like, this father wound or just the gravitational pull of him on you. Is this, like, the the big elephant in the room that doesn't allow you to get to the union that you're looking for like your wife is displaced into the back seat with whom i would imagine is who you should be in union with whereas you're in 
you're more in this in this imagery you're more in a union with your father uh and so i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it sucks i mean if, if anybody listened to my father wound episode you know how tied the anima experience was with my father wound and i think it's i think it's probably a pretty i would I would be really curious. I wish I could get a whole cross section of men and just see like when your when your father when presents itself in dreams, like what is it tied to? Is it is it connected to anima? Is it is it the the thing that keeps you from is somehow our our manhood like or like at least our our relationship to our father somehow like a big blocker to us accessing our union with that feminine aspect of ourselves who boy you got me going my 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 mind is going to a few places at once and one of them is that the in the dream where i show up at the seminary and i meet the the sort of the father the as in the priest mm. you know very different kind of man but my father had the potential for that. Mm. There were times in his life that he's been a very, very spiritual man and he really had his act together and he was exactly the example that I would want to follow in my life. But growing up, he wasn't, you know. Um, we experienced a lot of hardship, um, a lot of addiction, um, a lot of uncertainty. So there's this contrast between what I see in the dream as father, as in like there's a dude, I just realized there's two fathers in the dream. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. There's <laughs> the father who's the spiritual father, who's got that peaceful kind of knowing smile. And he's, you know, he's the guy who kind of runs the place, you know, like, I feel like he's the authority. He's, in he's an initiatory seminary. priest also in this, in this capacity. <sighs> Yeah, he is. And, and I think that knowing that, smile where you're asking for the the wax, I think if we could look at the wax for a minute, we're like. <sighs> yeah. All right. So he's contrasted with my dad who's outside. It was a peaceful like, scene. You're not sure I mean, what you're asking for yeah. right now, buddy. But yeah, there it, was. I'm glad that you're here asking well, for it. All right. Well, I did some, I'm taking a class from Jung Platform. It's jungplatform.com. They offer online courses and I've been taking a class on active imagination. And I used that scene for an active, for some active imagination work. So active just means that the imagination is allowed to do what it wants to do sort of on its own and you prompt it. And then it actively engages with you and the imagination becomes in uh, a vehicle for accessing the unconscious. The unconscious, of course, is what's generating the imagery in our dreams. So it's a technique that Carl Jung taught and I've started using it. And the priest, the seminary student are two of the images that I've worked with and the first night that I did the active imagination session, um, I started with the the priest and I was sitting there with him, seeing him, feeling him. 
And I could feel the candle. Like I was curious about that because I'm like, well, why would I want the wax that's dripped off the candle and accumulated? Why would I want the wax? I knew that's what I wanted though. I mean, in the dream, I'm very clear. I go right to the place mm-hmm. and I ask him very directly, this is what I want. And he says, okay. And then I grab the plate and I go. And I've been like, what in the world? What is the wax? So I did the session with it. And I could feel as I'm sitting there doing kind of focusing within myself and I'm picturing a candle. And then I saw this light in my own body, like candlelight. And I realized I am the candle. Hmm. You know, like with your life, moment to moment, you're just sort of burning away. And it's a long, slow burn. And somehow it accumulates, you know, like there's something I think that the soul gets out of this that we don't know as we're going through our life. But all of our experience, every moment of our life is something that it feeds off of. Can I... Post something to you. Dude, please. If you're the dude. candle and you're trying to come to get the wax, are you, is this like a metaphorical ask of retrieving parts of yourself that melted away or like that you lost in in that kind of metaphorical way? And I would say yes, except I wouldn't say lost. In the dream, I, I, it doesn't feel like there's any mm-hmm. negative yeah. uh, loss association with it. Okay. When, when the unconscious starts taking your imagination and creating its own imagery, it's almost like being in a dream where you're responding, you're there, you're aware, but it's the imagery is coming of its own. And when I was doing this session and I was thinking about that candle and I started feeling like, down in the root of me is the base of the candle, like of where the wick is coming out and it's lit. And I could see the whole kind of inside of my being lighting up with the yellow orange candle light, you know, and I could feel in my own body, I could feel like I was a flame. And then I could feel sort of almost like sweat coming off of me. And that was the wax. Hmm. And it's like, this is what's accumulating. It's, it's, it's like, it's the essence, somehow it's like the essence of me and it's not being burnt away, you know, it's not being lost, Mm -hmm. but I wonder though, you know, it's accumulating on a white plate. As soon as I tell the guy that this is the father, that this is what I want, and I'm here for the the wax from your holy rituals. And he's like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting request, you know? <laughs> and he's, you know, he's in agreement. And then I look over and I see these white paper plates, but the I realized they burned the candles on the plates so that they could accumulate the wax. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of smart. And the plate, it's very distinctly stuck out to me. It's a round image. And round in dream circles are, Jung referred to them as mandalas. And 
they're images of the wholeness of oneself. The circle is a classic image for the self, as in like the the larger self, the the archetypal self. Um, and when I picked up the plate and kind of took it with me, I mean, this is where I'm kind of stuck now. Am I reclaiming something about myself that I need going forward? It didn't feel like it had been lost. Yeah, it does feel like you're trying to gather spiritual energy or something of the sort. Yeah. Yeah, like, especially if this was, like, right before your dad came out, like, it feels like you're, like, rushing to this church to, like, be like, please, dear God, I know that I'm going to need some shit to, like, get through this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, something in me knew what was coming. Yeah. Even though at the time I had no, I mean, this was still a couple months before he arrived. And what I, the last I had left my father, he was, he was a sober man who he was deciding that he was going to come spend the rest of his life in Arizona with a be with his family. He had a vision, you know, and you know, when my father gets his sight set on something, he can really go for it. And that's what I was expecting. It seemed like it's kind of in a rush. Well, I don't but, even know if at know, that point you knew he was coming in March. Like, didn't wasn't he supposed to come like that following fall? And then like he just was like, nope, I'm actually coming right now. And you were like, oh, yeah, that was <laughs> that saves a little, a little fast. It was, yeah. It was. It was. I think it was just before he called up and said, "Well, I'm going to be there in March." And I'm like, no, we, when we talked about you moving to Arizona, I was saying move here in the fall, uh, maybe at the earliest, like we need to slow down. But he's like, no, I got someone to rent my house. And next thing I know, he's like, I got movers coming and they're picking up all my stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I, I should have at that point, dude, I should have just put my foot down and said, no, we gotta slow this down mm -hmm. you need to tell me exactly what's going on and maybe i would have had an idea of that he the stress from the move eight years sober alcoholic oh, it kicked man. in zero to a thousand miles an hour for the first drink wow. he turned he turned back into an alcoholic so and i didn't know anything about this until he got here <laughs> so yeah man it seemed like I was being prepared, like, dude, you are going to need everything that you've got to your life to this point. You're going to need it all to be able to get through this mm -hmm. because there is a shit storm coming. And it was, you know, it did. It put my wife in the back seat, like, you know, she was going through her own stuff at the time. And there I am trying to, you know, help her. So yeah, she got put into the back seat. Her her priorities, her health, you know, that all got put behind. But the thing was, dude, is when I looked down at him from that, you know, I was kind of on a balcony or in a window and I'm looking down and he's in the car. He was happy as a as a clam. Wow. Like a sea lion on the beach, <laughs> just sitting in the sun, enjoying the breeze, you know, like he was he was just happy as could be. And I know when my father is happy where he's at, there's no moving him. He, he parks he parks somewhere, well, Jim's happy, and 
And it doesn't matter if nobody else is happy about the situation. If he's happy with it, then there's no moving him. And uh, Is that how you feel yeah. about his energy and you? There's no moving it? Mm. It feels that way sometimes. Dude, there was something that came out of this that I wouldn't have ever known otherwise. And it was all those unconscious ways that I am like my father. Mm. See, my mom left my father when I was about mid-teens, uh, 14. By 15 years old, she had met another man and she moved out of town. She invited me, but I was, you know, I'm 15 years old. I'm into my friends. I wasn't going to be moving to some new place to go and live with some her new, new guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. He was in the military and stuff. I didn't really know him at the time. I love the guy now. He's so super cool. But back then, I'm just like, you know, we're going to move to some military base <laughs> with this guy that I hardly know who's a military officer. And I've got like a picture of like, you know, drill sergeant type, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I need. I need some guy getting up in my grill telling me what I need to be doing. You yeah, know, you at that, you know, at that age, I was already like very set in my ways. So my, my father and I were then it was him and I, and there was this strange sort of like, on the one hand, it's him and I against the world. On the other hand, it's an extremely dysfunctional relationship. And I ended up leaving the house at 15. And on my 16th birthday is when they came and got me for running away. And that's when I ended up in the place. And I didn't come, I didn't return to my home until 14 months later. Mm -hmm. And that was in the fall of my senior year of high school and by the spring I was moved in with my best friend and his parents because I couldn't live with him anymore this is how things have been between him and I going back and forth for all these years and sometimes things were okay between us and sometimes it was you know but when he got here and he was in this crisis it brought me back to things that I had just left behind. I, I had come out here to Arizona of a wonderful partner who invited me to come out here and be part of her life and ended up becoming a big part of her family's life. And then I, um, I had the stability that I needed to do the writing. Then it opened up my dream. I wanted to be a, a, an author. You know, that prayer when I was 16, it's like it all came full circle.
But when dad got here and we were going through all this, there were so many things I started seeing in him that I realized about myself that were unconscious. And it's the weirdest, some of the weirdest things. I collect rocks, right? I'll be walking around the neighborhood and I'm always checking for rocks because I've, I've taken them and I've built rock gardens and I've built pathways and I've, I'll build, I'll grab a couple of cool rocks on my way home. I've done it for years. I've now got thousands of rocks, right? <laughs> so I know crazy, right? So one day I come over to my dad's apartment when he was living here and he's got a bucket full of rocks. And I'm like, what are you doing with all these rocks? He's like, well, I, you know, I'm just kind of picking them up here and there around here. I'm like, they're landscaping rocks. You're taking people's landscaping rocks. And he's like, oh, they're not going to miss them. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you taking, you know? And then it hit me. I'm like, I mean, I don't take people's, I find them out in the yeah. wild or whatever, you know, but I, I'm like, attention if I'm, to all of Jason's you know, neighbors. Yeah. If we're, you want to know where your rocks went? <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, I've been snagging them. So this all seems to come around and what is this wedding that I need to get to? There's this promise of something really cool, really like, I mean, it's a wedding. A wedding is a happy occasion. A wedding is a union. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a special event. And I'm always missing the thing that I need to get me there. The passport, the ticket, the clothes, the sense of direction, you know, the like, well, where is the airport? Yeah. And I'm following some dude around in the, you know, far nether regions. Like, <laughs> you know, why does this security guard lock the door where I've left my dress clothes and he's become my obstacle to something that's really important for me? You know, all this is floating around and I'm, it feels like there's a center of gravity, uh, something that pulls all of this together and I'm missing it. And I wake up from these dreams and there's just a longing in me. There's this hole that says, fill me, fill me. And I know maybe some of it is the spiritual practice. You know, I've been doing some more of that, but there's something else. And I seem to start to touch it and it's there. Like I can feel like it's there. And as I pull it up out of the water, it just bloop. Yeah, for me, and the guy locking the door really feels like, not that he wants to withhold it from you, but wants you to consider it deeper. Why Why are you being locked here? And I'm curious how you would feel about, so you have a couple different, it sounds like a couple different dreams where like identification is a blocker. And I would almost assume like clothing 
is pretty close to ID, like ID, not not quite in the same way, but well, that jacket in particular is a big part of my identity, mm-hmm. especially as a dream worker. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So I'm wondering if like there's. Ooh, okay. Let me. All right. <laughs> Might have just went a little deeper. Holy fuck. Um. So I'm going to tie this, what I'm about to say into also kind of going back also to the union dream real quick. So I'm curious, uh, for me, I mean, I don't know if this wedding in Paris is like the big sacred marriage, but, um, if there is an element of that here, then I'm, I'm curious, like, I, I know that shame since it's gotten brought up. And really the way that shame shows up in us is like when we're trying to hide something about ourselves that we think if it was seen uh, that somehow we would either bring on disapproval, we would experience disappointment, uh, people would ridicule us for it or reject us for it, uh, or otherwise would just be deemed unlovable for whatever reason, whether that's even an accurate assessment on our part at all. And usually it's not. So tying this all together, if sh- if that's what shame does to us, then we're hiding that beautiful part of us that otherwise would want to come out. So I guess for me, what, what I could ask you is, uh, yeah, what are you, what are you afraid of showing to the world? What are you afraid of bringing up? You know, you just reminded me that when I'm in that bathroom, I've been in that. It's because it's not just a bathroom. It's like a locker room. And I've been in there many times in my dreams. And it just came rushing back to me as you, as you said that. And I went, how many times have I been in there and I can't find a place to change because there's shit everywhere every toilet is overflowing (laughs) every bench is full of like there's piles and when i say crap i mean like just odds and ends and i can never find the place where i need to change and you know change i was just gonna say i heard that personally you just said like yeah i feel that i feel that hard and this is the other word that keeps coming to mind and has been for the last couple of minutes you ready for you ready for the word surrender Mm -hmm. yeah there's something that i've been running from for so long and Everything else that I've done with my life, it's like everything that I've been able to accomplish is only beneficial if it builds on top of everything that I've been to this point, but instead it's taking me in the other direction. It's like Jason has created this construct 
this persona, this public image, this things, things that he's done that people identify him and they say, oh yeah, he's, he's that author, you know, he's that guy who, you know, works with dreams and people know him because he's, you know, cause this is what he does, but it's built to top something that is like, I'm running away from what I've been and a lot of what has driven me to do these things has been out of fear. I'm just kind of realizing a lot of this, a lot of these odds and ends are pulling together as we talk here. So I may not be able to articulate mm-hmm. this as clearly as I like, but the I was driven by fear of failure. I was driven by fear that I was going to end up in a complete shithole of a life. When I was in my early thirties, you know, I'd, you know, I'd gotten sober and then, you know, I got my life together and I, I got into the dream work and studying Jung and, you know, working with my mentor, Larry, and people saw in me, like just the light came on, man. Like it was like, wow. And then something happened that tripped me up. I did it to myself, but you know, I tripped me up. And by the time I was in my early thirties, I had the gun to my head, you know, literally. And that was when I went through an experience that I came out of that and I went, if I don't do this, if I don't do it, then it's the end. I won't make it. So I started writing furiously. It was the story that from the past lives mm-hmm. episode that we did, that story that came to me, that dream, that thing sat for years and I hadn't done anything with it. After an initial flurry of work with it, I set it aside. I was like, I'll never finish this thing. And I picked it up and I said, I'm going to work on this until it's done. Until I finally had a book and it was that story. And I proved to myself that I could do it. And that's what led to the next book, which opened the door. I wasn't going to be the fiction author I always wanted to be. Not at that point. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the future that's coming. But what drove me to do that was fear. And I fed on it. I used it. I was so deeply ashamed of what I had done to myself and where I had ended up in my life. And I'd gone through a horrible experience of a relationship that ended as badly as, I mean, it was a nightmare. And I said to myself coming out of that, I said, okay, this horrible feeling I have in me, this pit in my stomach, I'm going to feed on this. I wasn't consciously maybe so much, but I look back now and I'm like, yeah, I did. I fed on that. 
Every night when I would come home from work or wherever, if I had the night off, I would sit down with my computer and I'd work on my story. And there was a, something in the back of my mind that said, you're not getting up until this thing is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. So that was something that pushed me to do this. But I'm realizing now that I was denying something. I was trying to deny something. And I think that, you know, the thing that calls us from within asks us to surrender to it. You know, if you're talking about a union with the deepest inner part of yourself, if we talk about the anima, you know, the idea that inside of every man there is this woman that he wants more than anything but she won't take him unless he comes to her in the right place and I'm going to ask you this Steve did she demand of you that you surrender before she gave you the things that I mean, it's led to this creative outpouring out of you, this soulful man that emerged, this no longer going to be the victim. You know, it led to you having these, you know, children and a family. And I mean, just the transformation you've been through in the time I've known you has just been fucking remarkable. (laughs) And I remember when you were talking about like when she was in the cave and you were trying to coax her out, but she's like, no, no, I'm going to, you know, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she asks, she demands of you that you meet her in the place where you are humbled. You remember you were the basketball guy drib- dribbling around yeah, me, and acting all cocky quick? and yeah, me, go ahead. I'll tell that, I'll tell that dream quick and then I'll tell... You'll trying ask, to decide, answer my I'm question trying, about surrendering. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I if I tell the holy one, the real big one. Um, so yeah, um, the dream he's referring to right now is the dream I told him back in the day. Which back in the day, I think that was 2016. That was if you heard my Grinch story. This dream happened right after the big reconciliatory moment I had with the victim. It was probably like a month or two later. And I had the I had a king dream where I'm standing in this room. It was like a stone room, and I was a knight. It was kind of like a knight of Camelot. And there was a woman, an Amazon character, who was standing next to me. Uh, and there was a couple other knights that were there too. And uh, the woman says to me, "I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving you guys." I'm done. And I was really upset about that, but also wanting to honor her. And she asked me if I could do her one favor before she left. And that would be to sharpen her sword. And I humbly accepted that. And I sharpened her blade against my own. And I'm realizing that I didn't tell the part that preceded this. So real quick, uh, there was a a scene that I was playing basketball. There was a woman that was on 
uh, I don't, I can't remember what the teams were like, but it was just like kind of a pickup game. And I was being a ball hog and I was showing off and I wasn't passing. And I think she was on my team and I wasn't giving her any, any kind of like assisting or any, any type of shot for her to take a shot. Um, and then I moved just slightly down the court and this whole kind of other scene happens where I'm looking at kind of a artistic creation that somebody had created, which was a kingdom. And I'm looking at it and I'm just really enthralled with it. And I realize it's my kingdom. And I, and I have this like surge of feeling that I, I could, I could really create a beautiful kingdom like this. I, I could do this, that it was like something that I knew I could do. And it wasn't like an egotistical thing. It was just like a, a real knowing inside of me that I have the potential to like build something like this. And so then snap forward and now I'm in a kingdom, essentially. I'm I'm in this castle with her and a couple of the other knights and I sharpen my sword against her. And I say to her as like a show of like sending her off, I'm like, all right, well, how about we give two cheers for the true king? And all of us in in that barrack, or however you want to describe it, hold our swords up in the air and we say, all hail the true king, all hail the true king. And from around a doorway steps the king. He just shows up in the room and he's, you can tell he feels very honored that we didn't know he was there. And yet we still had that kind of an honor for him. And he is he is Arthur. He he's actually yeah, I was King Arthur. <laughs> I was watching a show at that time about King Arthur, and he was the Arthur from that TV series. Um, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It was called Merlin. Um, and so, anyways, uh, the scene shifts, and now we're out in the kingdom, and he's walking with the woman just ahead of me, and. The kingdom is in disarray. It's like in shambles. And the king says to her, uh, if you must leave, that's fine. Uh, there's a, what he called, there's the secret cave just outside, just outside of the kingdom. If you want to go and stay there, you can. And I have this image of what the cave looks like. And it looks scary. It almost looks like a mouth. And it just has that aura of like deep, dark cave. <laughs> and that's how the dream ended. And yeah, so that was, that was an interesting dream that was really beautiful. And it set me up to be like, we, we had this huge reconciliatory moment with the victim. And now we're trying to rebuild and I have this great potential in me to build this beautiful kingdom inside of myself. And the king is there and he's he's ready to show up and start delegating and start like after she leaves, he's telling people what to do. He's pointing them in directions. He's like, you need to go over there and you need to do this. And so the king is fucking here. It's great. Um, and in my understanding of, of the archetype of the king, like the king is like the great organizational aspect of the psyche and when it shows up and hadn't i'd never seen a king 
up to this point in my life until this was all happening. And man, I tell you what, like it was really cool to see the King for like a year. But I tell you what, I, if you've heard that story, <laughs> you know, the kind of organization that happened in my life, uh, it was not easy at all. There was so much that I had to arise to and to get to Jason's ask of what she has asked of me to be in relationship with her. Um, yeah, I think I'll tell it. Um, so right after this dream, I had a lucid dream that I briefly mentioned in the Grinch story. I, I alluded to it. I said that I had this experience in a lucid dream where I met my anima and it imprinted something so deeply upon me that it really carried me through the whole rest of that part of my initiation. Uh, really made me want to fight for her is kind of how I explained it. I have such a resistance to tell this dream. Like it's such an important dream to me. How do I tell it? Should I tell it? Okay, I'm going to tell it. I think I have a strong yes. Sorry, I just really wanted to make sure that this was right. So in that dream, I had been trying to, since I did the victim, now I'm, now I was trying to call her into the dream. And, uh, so within that lucid dreams, I was calling the victim in to try to have a reconciliatory moment. And so then I tried calling her in and I had not the greatest luck at first. And I had this funny little dream one time where I, I asked the dream to have my anima show up and this woman showed up as I asked for it. And I went up to her and I was like, Hey, are you in my anima? And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of like, it was kind of like our dream characters, like they don't use that language maybe, or they're like, that's not how I like identify myself. Motherfucker. Um, I want you to decide that for yourself or I don't know. It was, it was just kind of a funny thing where she was like, I don't know. Um, and then I get, I, I wake up and I'm like, God, it was her. Like, why did you like second guess yourself? Um, but anyways, then I had another opportunity and I'm leaving my father and my brother on this dock right at the beginning of the dream. And my dad says something offhand to me that, uh, brings me right back to being a child like just I, I think I was trying to like interject myself into the situation and help him fix something that he was working on and I was fumbling it and he he kind of snaps at me and said something like uh look if, if, if you're not gonna actually help me like scram or like it was something like that where he just kind of dismissed me and I kind of wrestled with that in the dream and it actually made me lucid like so here I'm lucid and I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I, I got other plans for this dream. And I, I walked away and I'm trying to formulate in my head, like who I'm trying to call upon. And I couldn't remember the word anima and I'm wrestling with like, damn it. Like, no, shoot. Like, who was it? Like, and I had total, a whole, whole mind block. And the only way that I could frame it in my, in my mind was that I was looking for the one who could heal my solar plexus wound. And so I have like this core wound. It's a dream that I've shared several times with the tree growing through the man. And it's 
a wound that I can feel like there's an energetic knot in my solar plexus that I've been nursing for quite a few years now. It, it crucified him and the man was on fire. So yeah, let's paint that picture. The, the man is is crucified because of a tree limb that has penetrated through his body and comes out of his solar plexus and the man is on fire. Yeah. And Steve sees the scene and he calls down rain to try to quit, at least ease some of his suffering. So yeah. So most powerful this, dream images I've ever seen. Yeah. That's like a hardcore image for me of my poor personal wound, uh, which is personal to me, but it also feels ancestral because it's the tree and knowing what I know about it, it feels collective at the same time. Like it feels like the world tree even maybe somehow. Um, mm. And so that's how I'm thinking about it in the dream. Like the person who can help me heal this. And as I like formulate that much of it, like I'm like, Oh yeah, it's her. Um, Anima. Like it just clicks. And I walk into this huge, like cathedral like building. It was massive. And I walk in and I came up with this way of like actually calling characters into the dream. So basically what I do is I'll, I'll feel them like what I think they feel like in me. Like, so with the victim, I felt like I brought up victim feelings and I said, and then you hold that and then you just say to the dream, like so-and-so. So here in this dream, I was like, the anima will walk out from behind that wardrobe. And there was like a wardrobe at the top of the staircase and sure enough just split second there's a woman she's darting away and i'm like oh shit and so i'm like running up the stairs after her and i'm totally blocked like four or five women just are on the staircase all of a sudden they're like nope you can't see her yet and i'm like what and they're like you have to go down to that waiting room and you need to wait for her to tell you that she's ready and I was like, okay. And I had to like really, it's like I've said in a couple of different episodes, like you have to humble yourself. And if the dream is pointing you in a direction in a lucid dream, you got to find a way to honor it. You can't allow your ego to get the best of you in these situations because something's happening here. And if you're, if you can maintain your curiosity, then there's a good chance that you'll get something even more beautiful than what in your ego driven madness, you might think you want. Uh, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's really easy to be like, this is my dream. Like scoot out of the way, ladies. Like I got, I'm on a mission here. Like, please. Like, <laughs> um, so, so I, I, I honor them and I walk down and there's this waiting room and on the wall, there are these three lights and they, and I understand that that indicates her readiness. And at the moment it's red and I'm sitting down there and it feels like a long time. And I'm going, this is going to be one of those awful dreams that I'm, it's not going to happen. Like this is just drawing it out and I'm going to wake up and I'll be like, again, like we didn't make it there. Just kind of like with your airport dreams, like welcome to my dream. Exactly. World. Yep. Like I was just anticipating that. And then, just as I think that it's it's a no-go this time. And I, I, I actually like come to a place within me where I'm like, we'll have another dream. Oh, oh, oh well, you know, whatever. We can we can do this again. Like, 
as soon as like I got to that place where I like just gave up completely and was just like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't kind of like, instead of being so like on edge, like, oh, please tell me this is going to happen. I, I think I finally surrendered and I just, I'm here if you're ready kind of thing. And just as I get to that point, like the light goes from red to green and I'm like, holy shit. Is it going to happen? And I'm like, just anticipating, like getting to the staircase again. And then like the dream falling apart, like just imagining, like getting worked up, thinking it's going to happen and then getting let down again. Like I'm, I'm kind of like gearing up for that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, maybe this dream really is going to continue. It feels like this has been a very long one already. Um, but maybe who knows? And I get up there and sure enough, it's still going. And there's the ladies that stopped me before they're lining the staircase now on both sides and up at the very top of the staircase there she is and she's standing there before me with this big beautiful smile um she's actually a famous actress her name is uh emily de, de raven she was the blonde pregnant woman on the show lost and she was she was also uh, an actress on the show once if you if anybody ever watched that show once where it was like all the disney stories all kind of meshed into this live action show uh she was uh bell she played bell from beauty and the beast in that show and this this image of her is a mashup of both of those shows i loved both of them uh and so I'm walking up the stairs and I see that it's her and she's just radiant and just pouring of like the most soulful energy. Just I'm I'm a mush. I'm just like can't even come up with words. Like I had been like trying to like think of what I would say if I did get in front of her. And I was like expecting this like romantic gesture and like declaring my like love for my soul or like you know <laughs> and i get up there and i'm just a babbling like idiot just like a 14 year old dude just like drooling over this girl and so she she brings me up there and her, her loft is just so feminine it's just like so deeply feminine there's beautiful linens and there's all of these cozy comfy areas and like the floor is just lined with pillows and um she she goes and lays down on them and she she beckons me to her and we we lay together and i'm kind of like respectfully and sensually like rubbing my hand up and down her like thigh and she she sees how giddy i am and she kind of smiles coyly at me and is like so what do you think about me and i'm like I think you're beautiful and your accent is so pretty. Like that's like the best I could do. Like, cause she's Australian and she had this really cute accent. Um, and so, yeah, I, and she just like smiles really cutely about that. And just kind of like this, this guy right here, look at this guy. Um, and she gets up and she walks across the other side of the room and I jump up and without even like knowing why I did this or, understanding like it happening in the moment is just like the dream prompts it out of me i say to her i kind of don't even have the words for it i just say uh how do i 
heal this and I point at my solar plexus and she lights up and she gets all excited and she's like frantically ripping through her desk and her women aides is what I call them uh, come flocking over and everybody's like looking for something and she finds what she's looking for and she stands before me and she hands me an envelope and I can't remember if she speaks it or if I just read it on it's like written on the envelope uh, but it says something around the, the, to the tune of make peace with the father or like yeah it has something to do with that like you have to make peace with the father and then she hands me another envelope and it says use only the good words and it understood that whatever this envelope has to do with uh, is for her and like it's almost like she's making a joke about the fact that I came into this experience wanting to tell her so much more and here I'm just a babbling fool and I I have nothing (laughs) that poetic or beautiful to say to her Um, and so it's almost like an invitation to me to like find what is most important to me or like what is what is true about my love for myself or like it's, it's something I think that's the most articulate I think I've ever thought about it um, <laughs> and then I kind of think that's it but then she hands me several other things and one of them is a piece of coral and it has written on it rite of passage and then she hands me a picture frame that has it looks like it's from Northwoods Minnesota it has pine trees and like black bears on it um and the picture inside of it is of a house but if the picture frame because there's items on it like the bears and the trees like it's understood how it should be like right side up um and the picture inside of it if the frame was right side up the picture of the house is upside down and i kind of like i'm like what is that and she kind of smiles at me and then the scene shifts to me watching a house on a river dunk underwater and the people that are like they're working on the house are like oh my god the house just like plunged underwater like what are we gonna do now um and the dream ended so long story short for me uh make peace with the father had everything to do with all that I talked about in the father wound episode uh, that was that whole journey had to happen for me to come back into true relationship with her and to heal this wound was that was a big <laughs> part of it for me to come back into my power because this is this is all within the realm of that directive so of the Grinch story like to come back into my power I have to kill something and then create something beautiful in its place and it felt like this dream, which was a year af- after I had that dream, it was I was going into the thick of that whole initiation that the directive was setting up for me. Uh, it was like this was her added element to that, that in the scope of me coming back into my power, which going from victim to lover, which is what the whole Grinch story was all about, uh, coming back into true contact with her, which is the sacred marriage. It was going to require me 
to heal my father wound because my father wound was so wrapped up in my creativity. Like I talked so deeply about in the father wound episode, which is so deeply connected to her. And in that episode, you can see like how in intertwined that is. And, and if you're hearing this and you have listened to that episode, you're just like, holy shit, he did it, dude. Like <laughs> he answered that part of her directive already. Um, which is so crazy. And that like when I when she gave that envelope to me, I had no like, no clue. Like I thought it was like I needed to make peace with God. Like that's the Father God. Like I, that's where I was at at the time. Um, had no idea that like really that's where it was pushing me. Um, and then I feel like her envelope in that is what I've been doing ever since. Like uh, creating the music and doing the podcast and so much of it is so tied for me to really understand like so truthfully and so deeply, like how much all of this really means to me. And like up to that point, like I wasn't, I had been blocked. I I wasn't writing music. I had been in a slump for like six or seven years. And when the dreams came back online, a year later that in started inspiring the music, I realized how much music was really tied up in my personal power and how much trying to run away from that was keeping me so disjointed in my life. And it was keeping me so far out of my power that since then I've been on this huge, beautiful journey of trying to, trying to honor her in a way that the next time I do get a chance to stand before her, I am really going to see her. I'm going to know her so deeply and I'm going to know exactly so intrinsically, so deeply, so purely why I need her so incredibly in my life and why her love is everything that I have been needing my entire life. And that's my own love for myself. Like it's, it's coming to know like, truly and deeply how much I haven't been there for myself and how much I haven't been in true and deep and honest and committed relationship to loving myself. And I'm not, I haven't even, I haven't been there. I haven't gotten there yet with her. And I, I think, I feel like I'm getting close. I feel like this album that I'm about to start recording, which is solely dedicated to her is like my magna opus to her. And I'm hoping that based on a lot of things that I see moving around in my life, like that maybe I'm getting close. I don't know. It's been seven years that I've been doing this dance with her and I feel like I see her so fully now. And yeah, I hope, I hope that <laughs> something can get away and we can uh, really begin doing our work together and creating stuff creating beauty in this world. And I, I can stop trying to make the world fill the void inside of my soul. And I can start actually that I, that I will have proved myself in a way that I, I know that I love myself without needing the world to affirm it creatively. I don't know if I'm saying this quite right, but uh, yeah, I don't know. So to answer your, fuck, that was like such a long, long way to answer your question. Um, is that, I, I, yeah, I don't feel like that 
marriage has fully happened, but I, I do have a lot of longevity in that relationship now. And I do know that, yeah, I don't even know what your original question was now. God damn it. Surrender. Surrender. <clears throat> because yeah, I've, I feel like there's this big ego thing going on in me that this is what's, you know, <clears throat> I can see it in my responses to the, the characters. Why are you doing this to me? So there's a little victim. There's, uh, there's this ego striving that is behind so much of what's going on in the dreams and in myself. And it feels like that the wedding that is being promised is something in the, you know, that I can get to. There's obviously something in me that's stopping me from getting to it. I mean, this is, it, it keeps coming up as, you know, I'm missing my jacket. I don't have my passport. I don't have my ticket. Um, I've got some creepy security guy who's playing games with me. Um, I've had the dreams where previous ones that did involve my father um, with the previous sets of trying to get to Paris, which, you know, now it's like, well, no, you're trying to get to Paris and there's a wedding. So a wedding in Paris, in the previous Paris dreams, it was about getting to that place in my life that I wanted to get as an author and fulfilling that promise to myself, you know, 16-year-old kid sitting there by his cot, long, long way from home, feeling lost. His mom's gone. He's he's estranged from his father and he's alone and he's sitting there on his knees going, I've got an idea for my life. And then about 16 years after that, I'm in my early thirties and I'm like, I'm at, that's when I'm at my wits end. And that's when I actually really started working towards making that dream come true. I just had a ping. Um, Cause you're not allowed to take off. Right. There's like, a, you can't take off. There's like a failure to launch kind of thing happening here. Um, yeah. So my, my question is like, uh, do you, do you have to have better sight for who you are and why this is important or, cause I don't know. Do you feel like, do you feel like this wedding has to do with us trying to create this whole thing together like this we're trying to create this platform of sorts of teaching and creating community uh surrounding this podcast and just surrounding what it is that we feel like we have to offer the world through dream work um like do you feel like this is a, a marriage of that like a coming together of of that kind of sort like this is another way that your dreams are using paris as a way of like you're trying to get to this next place creatively in your life or or does it feel and maybe it's both or does this feel more like a sacred marriage of sorts where you're trying to 
try to redefine like who you are so that you can find yourself in this better place. Part of me feels like since you already have Paris associations with your creative life or your professionally creative life, that maybe it's more of the, the first idea I had, but I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> well, you're, you're uh, pinging some things in me here with this because the, this, a, a wedding is a union and the, and there was the are dream we getting where it was the union. Well, are we getting <laughs> big boy? You're going to have to do more to get this. Uh... <laughs> uh... Oh, hello, ego. Yeah, ma'am. Um, there's the, a sort of, when you said synthesis, it's really pinging me right now because this is coming together. Because what I've been trying to do is the, the, synth, the, the synthesis of the creative drive. The, a lot of the writing that I've done is on dreams. There's also the drive from within me to teach what I know about dreams and dream work. Um, and there's the sense of what I'm here to do in this world. The, the, this might sound maybe, I'm just going to say it the way it is. I think I was born to do this. I mean, this is why I'm here. When I turned 50 years old, Can I just I, say that's I, absolutely true. Oh God, I'm dude! So proud of you for actually being able to say that, dude. You're, you know, you're it, a Britannica of dreams, my friend. <laughs> and you know, I or like dream knowledge, I, uh, I should say. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I do have a lot of knowledge about you know about dreams and all the systems of dream work and you know the the psychology of them, but also the experience with it as a healing and transformative tool to use. It saved my life. Yeah. I, uh, if I wouldn't have found someone who could teach me dream work, my my mentor Larry, I I wouldn't have made it. A dream work was what saved me. If there is the wedding, if there's a synthesis of everything, mm -hmm. if a wedding is a synthesis and I want to bring it all together, it comes together around this online school. And the, I mean, the podcast is part of that and the, everything else, but it all comes together around this work, this sacred work that we're doing. And I feel like there's something really big that we can do with this. And there's something that's going to be asked of me, which if I think if I'm going to be able to do this, for one, it's seeing a lot of my own identity 
you know, like this is a synthesis of everything that I've been to this point. Um, it's why I need that jacket with me, my blue sports jacket, you know, like that's my dreams jacket. That's the, you know, I need that sense of me and why I have done this because so much of it has been driven by fear and I need a different motivation mm, for yeah, it. Yeah, I was just going to say is, uh, if who you've built yourself to be as the dream worker, J.M. DeBoer, the author, um, then maybe you're being blocked. Maybe the guy's laughing at you a little bit, locking your blazer up in the closet because maybe he wants you to consider that maybe this isn't who you are going forward. Or maybe in some way like there's a deeper a deeper, more truer part of yourself that needs to come forward. <laughs> a more authentic or like a less, a less oh, like a curated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He did have that look, man. I mean, he was doing something. He's, he likes, looks at me like almost like giving me a little wink. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You figure there's a mystery here and you're, you're going to, I know it's going to take you a while to figure this one out. Hmm. Why am I locking you away from the thing that you've wrapped yourself in? You know, and it's because I've got to leave that behind. I can't go forward with the same ego striving, that same fear of failure, that same, I've got to do this or else my life is over. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, that, wow. that, okay. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like to not see that? to not come at it from that place. Like God. that's the way you've identified, or at least like identified why you want to get to Paris. And it's why there's so much ego caught up in all this for me, you know. And if it, it is a marriage, took... like if if the sacred marriage plays into it at all, like that, it's you're coming at this from a soulful place. That you're coming at it in union with your true uh, heart, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think for you, I think that this is beautiful. If we could wrap this up beautifully, I think I think this is such a gorgeous thing that the dreams are doing for you right now. I think uh, to have you considering who you are and where you've been and who do you want to be going forward or like, who could you be going forward that is deeper or more truer to your core essence that will allow you to, to be in this work more authentically, that'll allow you to step into the true position of teacher and author and dream worker that you're meant to be. That yeah, it just feels like there's there's a whole a whole new JM that is waiting to burst forth. Uh, that is, that is truer and deeper and, and more aligned with your heart and your true, your true call to service and all of this. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, um, this is what's been missing from the picture for me. The idea of the marriage is, is a beautiful thing with the synthesis of all of 
the beauty that you have to bring like coming together in this really gorgeous way and it also is like a deeper union of the two of us coming together to do this together there's a deeper union of you and your true heart and soul and connecting deeper with your why and the true why not the i'm afraid of failing but the actual like i'm here to be of service and there is something that i was instilled and bestowed by the creative force that is trying to push me to do this that has been pushing me to do this and here i am finally about to answer it and talking paris which we haven't said this association but i've been thinking it all night is the city of love it's the city of the lovers it's to me that's it's such a beautiful that's like the marriage <laughs> the honeymoon capital of the world i would think like um yeah so mm. for all of this oh yeah beautiful there's a lot to chew on there it is city paris is the city of love it's you know it's where magic happens yeah. it's it's soul and heart and you know even though I hear the reality of it is it's a dirty cesspool, but <laughs> we, uh, we're talking about our dream Paris yeah. and that's a beautiful place. Yeah, man. Thank you. That's what I needed to know. Oh yeah, dude. You're, you're a hell of a dream worker, bro. <laughs> <clears throat> now let's bring this to the world, huh? Yes, sir. In a bigger, in a, in a, in a deeper way than we already have. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. On behalf of Jason DeBoard and myself, we thank you so much for being here for season four. <laughs> Man, it feels good. I can't even tell you how wild it is that we've maintained this long. <laughs> so thank you from the bottom of our hearts everybody who's been listening for all the people who have reviewed for all the people who have shared this podcast with your friends and family the ones of you whom are blasting it over social media any way and every way that any and all of you have contributed to the success of this show and to spreading this show farther and wider than we can do on our own we thank you from the bottom of our heart we really need you. We really, really do. We really only have so, so much range. And so any help that you can offer us is greatly appreciated. I cannot stress that enough. And so if you do listen on Apple Podcasts and you're hearing my voice right now, if you could just open up the app while you're listening to this and give us a five-star rating, if that's what you feel that we deserve. <laughs> And please make it a written review. I can't tell you how much we appreciate seeing the feedback. It really fuels us to keep going stronger. And it helps people who are looking at possibly listening to this to make the affirmative, yes, I want to click on this. That review sold me. Please, whatever it is in your heart that you would have to say about this podcast, we would so deeply appreciate it. And if you're listening on Spotify, there is a way that you can give us a five-star rating on that platform, which is a big help also. So anyway, in all the ways, thank you from the bottom of our hearts in advance. 
and for all the ways that you've already done it, thank you deeply. We really couldn't do this without you. So look forward to more beauty coming in this next season. I already have a few interviews lined up and it's oh, it's going to be beautiful. So stick with us. And like me and Jason have talked about throughout this episode, we got a lot of beautiful offerings coming to you guys this year. And you can look at what we already have available. It's uh, at your own pace. Jason has a handful of classes that you online that you can check out at dreamschool.net. I would type in www.dreamschool.net and check them out. Thank you, everybody. And as always, a deep and handsome thanks to all of you. <laughs> and as we always say, Nighty night.